I'm excited about this new series. Uh, I really enjoy the study of Bible and teaching Bible. Uh, and to go uh, in totality through a book of the Bible is what I usually do on Wednesday evenings in my Bible study. Currently, we're going through the book of Daniel. On, uh, on Sundays, I usually teach differently, so I'm excited to change it up a little bit and teach through the book of Mark. Um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take me to get through it all, um, but, uh, but it's going to be a good, it'll be a good time. I, I really want to encourage you to bring uh, an actual Bible with you. I know that in America, uh, houses in America have multiple Bibles in them. And so I don't feel odd saying bring a Bible with you because it's likely that you got at least one sitting around the house. Uh, if you don't, uh, we'll gladly give some to you. Uh, but whatever form you got your Bible, appreciate that, uh, get it out and uh, get ready to, to turn some pages in there. Uh, right off the bat, I want to su suggest what the big idea for today is. Faith is not only believing God will do, Faith is trusting even when he doesn't do. Faith isn't just believing God can. Faith isn't just believing God will do. Faith is trusting when he doesn't do. There's four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was the first one written. Matthew and Luke draw a lot from Mark in the writing of their Gospels. In the book of Mark, there's only one time when Mark gives his opinion, and it's in verse 1 of chapter 1. We'll look at that in just a moment. The rest of it, Mark is just focused on the action and activity in order to display the authority of Jesus. The fact that Jesus has authority over disease, over sin, and over death. And so Mark just gets right off the bat, jumps into the action of Jesus, and records how people responded to the activity of Jesus with the idea that if we know the action of Jesus and how people respond to the activity of Jesus, it would then inform our understanding of Jesus. We need to understand, I, I hope that we get this, all of the Bible is about Jesus. From the beginning up through the last book of the Old Testament, right before it gets to Matthew, everything points towards Jesus. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, illuminate Jesus. And from the Acts of the Apostles, all the way through the maps, points back to Jesus. The whole thing is about him. As the Bible says in John chapter 5, Jesus' words, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus. All this stuff is about me. It, it, the, the, the crucial thing for anybody opening the Bible is to look at scripture in order to see Jesus. The, the, diff, the, the problem is so many of us open the Bible to figure out how to live, what to do, what not to do, who to be, who not to be. And the point of the Bible is none of that. The point of the Bible is simply to illuminate Jesus because who Jesus is informs who I become. I should not look at the Bible and think I need to do this and be this. I should look at the Bible and find Jesus because who Jesus is then informs who I become so that the good thing for me is I should get to know him. You understand? It's the best thing we can do now. And looking at the the Gospel of Mark. We're going to spend a lot of time in the pages of, of that Gospel. 
Mark's name was actually called John Mark. John Mark. John was his Jewish name. Mark was his Roman name. He was a young man, and as a young man, he was, the best we can understand, the scribe of the Apostle Peter. And so he wrote down everything that Peter talked about his experience with Christ. Jesus, or Peter, as a disciple of Jesus, was one of Jesus' closest disciples. John Mark was the one that just kind of wrote down Peter's story about his experience with Jesus. Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas was the friend of the apostle Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary the world's ever seen, the greatest church planner the world's ever seen. And God called Paul to plant churches and said in, in Acts chapter 13, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them to do. So Barnabas was hand in glove partners with the Apostle Paul and starting churches all over that part of the world. This kid, Mark, was Barnabas's uh, cousin. And so there was a close relationship between Mark and what God was doing, just not in Peter's life, the disciple, but then in the church planting movement as God planted churches around the world. We know from Acts 12 that Mark's mom was probably pretty wealthy and that Mark was probably converted to Christianity through the apostle Peter. First Peter five tells us that he was the son in the faith of Peter. So, so Peter was probably the spiritual father of this kid, Mark. And so what we read in the gospel of Mark is most likely just simply Peter's record of his experience with Christ. Now, whenever we look at the Bible, we have to understand the context and understand the content. And so the context of the Gospels is this. The first Gospel, Matthew, was written to Jews. And the context of that is the royalty of Jesus. And Matthew presents it as the king of the Jews. The Gospel of Luke was written to Greeks. And so that, that Gospel portrays Jesus as the perfect human in his humanity. The Gospel of John was written by John, and it was written to present Jesus to the world. And so it presents Jesus as the son of God and talks about his eternal nature. Mark was different. Mark was written to Gentile Christians who didn't know much Old Testament. They didn't know much history at all. They just needed to get to know Jesus. And Mark figured the best way to get to know Jesus was through his activity, what he did and how people responded to him. See, if there's one thing that Romans and Gentile Christians understood, they understood authority and they understood action. And so Mark picks up his account of Jesus' life when it began its public ministry with no hint to any lineage, just the activity of Jesus. Now, Mark's own personal story is interesting. Mark's own personal story is a story of redemption and renewal. And so I want to let you know, if you've ever blown it, look to the person to your right, Look, person to your left, one of them has blown it. And probably the one sitting in the between them both have blown it the most. <laughs> That's you. Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And, and, and again, I geek out on Bible study stuff. I've loved studying the Bible since I was a little boy. And I know there is one passage, there's, there's one version of scripture that talks about uh, um, Mark's mother being the sister of Barnabas. That word sister is not in the earliest manuscript, so we can't talk about him as being the nephew of Barnabas. It's really, he was a relative. Our best guess is that he was the cousin of Barnabas. 
Barnabas as the co-worker with the Apostle Paul in planting churches. Barnabas and Paul got together in their, in their journey of planting churches and decided to take this young guy named Mark along with them, the cousin of Barnabas. And on one of those trips, as Barnabas and Paul were doing their missionary journeys with Paul, well, I'm sorry, with Mark joining with them, something happened in Mark, and Mark, as a young man, decided to go home, to leave the work, to leave the missionary, to leave the mission field, and to go home. Problem with that is that caused a big fight between Paul and Barnabas. They got in a big fight about it. See, and so what happened was uh, Paul figured, well, that's fine, you little boy, go on home. And he went and got this cat named Silas and kept doing a work. Barnabas left Paul and went and got Mark. And so Paul and Barnabas split their ways. Paul went with Silas. Barnabas went and got Mark. See, for Paul, Paul was mission-centric. There was a task at hand, and I'm not going to be diverted from it. Barnabas was person-centric. Matter of fact, the only reason Paul was accepted into the Christian community to do the ministry God called him to is because this guy Barnabas befriended Paul. So Barnabas was a friend of the underdog. Matter of fact, Barnabas wasn't even his name. His name was, that was a nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So he was just a great encourager. So seeing Mark need encouragement and went and got Mark. So who was right, Paul or Barnabas? Paul was mission-centric. You got a problem with it? Fine, go somewhere else. I got a job to do. That doesn't sound like a bad gig to me right there. I mean, that's, I'm kind of mission-centric like that. If you can't handle it, go, go sell Amway. So I don't know, go do something else. But. Barnabas was person-centric. Hey, now, this is an actual person that Jesus loves. Let's, let's be understanding, right? So, so who was right? Yeah, you guys are great fence riders. No, you're right, though. He was both, because each of them were responsible for something different. So, and, but here's the great thing. At the end of Paul's life, towards the end, he's sitting in a jail cell. And he gets word out, and he says, send Mark to me, because he's become my encourager. There was reconciliation. There was a renewal of their relationship, their friendship together. Paul would have said at one time, boy, keep that guy away from me. He just irritates me. But now... He was his encourager. And so we see this incredible story in Mark that he blew it. I don't know what it was, but he blew it. And if you've ever blown it, you're a good company because Mark blew it. But he was restored to the point of writing a gospel. That's recorded in Scripture. It's incredible. It's incredible. But as part of his gospel, there's no lead-up. There's no introduction. There's just action. Why wouldn't he introduce Jesus? Well, back to the context to understand the content. The context of Matthew, Matthew was written to the Jews and presented Jesus as the king of the Jews. And so a pedigree is important to royalty, right? It's, it matters who mommy and daddy are, especially daddy. Luke, written to the Greeks as the perfect human, the perfect humanity in all perfection, the human lineage of Jesus was important. In John, because it was written to the world, the eternal lineage of Jesus was important for in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. For Mark, he's not concerned at all with pedigree. He's concerned with action. What can you do? What have you done? So what I'd like you to do right now is get out your Bible. In whatever form you have that. Those of you who didn't bring a paper one, I'm going to put a little pressure on you. Bring a paper one next week. 
and it's important, go to Mark and take some notes. I decided to do this just this morning. This is what I decided to do. That right there is a picture of this right here. This is Mark chapter one in my Bible. This is it right here. So, so when I say, bring your Bible and take some notes, I don't know if you can see it real clearly, but, that, but God ain't going to be upset if you're writing your Bible, if you're writing stuff about him in your Bible. All right? As a matter of fact, he'll probably smile on you. And, and so, so get out your Bible, take some notes, follow along with us here. And I want to give you an overview of where we're going in the book of Mark. I'm trying to come up with a big idea for each section. And I've only, I've only kind of developed this through the first six chapters. I think there's 16 chapters in Mark. Um, and, and I want to tell you where we're going, at least in the first six. Here's the big idea. Like we said already today, faith is not just believing God will do. Faith is trusting God even when he doesn't do. And then next we're going to look at the idea that when the Holy Spirit is on you, you have authority over. And look what that means. Not just for the Holy Spirit to be in you when one's converted into salvation, but for the Holy Spirit to come upon. We'll see that in Jesus' life. And we're going to look at the idea that God's principles are for our protection. It's not so he can give us our rules of do's and don'ts, not so we can be good religious people. His principles are actually for our protection. And then we're going to look at the idea that God's commandments are God's enablements. When God commands us to do something, the fact that he's commanded that of us means that he will enable us to do it. But we won't be able to do it until we do it. But the fact that he's commanded of us means we will be able to do it. But you've got to start doing it before you can do it. We're going to look at the idea that a productive life begins with the word. We're going to look at the idea that Jesus calms storms inside and out. We're going to look at the idea of how much Jesus can do. We're going to look at the idea of when I have a need, guess what? God has a plan. And somehow obedience always produces abundance. So that's where, but that's only the first six chapters. There's 16. So I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through this stuff. But it's going to be fun. So here's what I want to do. I want to read to you the first eight verses. Now, this is not on your screen. I just, just I was sitting down here during that song. I thought, you know, I'm just going to read the, read the text first, and then we're going to jump into it. So, so this is what the Bible says, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you've got a Bible, follow along. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop right there and unpack that a little bit. In Mark 1, verse 1, this is the only place Mark gives his opinion. And this is where he says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's his opinion. And then what he endeavors to do is show by Jesus' activity and authority and people's responses to that, why his opinion is truth. It is the good news of Jesus who is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And he leaves the rest of the gospel to the action of Jesus. And he says, I want you to get to know Jesus by his activity and by what he does. But before Mark gets to to more of Jesus' story, we get a quick introduction of the second cousin of Jesus, whose name is John. We call him John the Baptist. And then Mark, in telling us about John, 
introduces to us this Old Testament prophecy in verses 2 and 3 about who this man would be. And so John says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's a prophecy in the Old Testament about this man, John. And Mark says that that prophecy comes from the book of Isaiah. But here's what we have to understand. This is why I like teaching the Bible. The first part of that prophecy, as it's written in the Isaiah, the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, it will prepare your way. That's not from Isaiah. That's from the prophet Malachi. It's not from Isaiah at all. Here's why we have to know that. Because some people who look at the Bible with nefarious intent will say, I told you you can't believe the Bible because that's wrong. Why would you believe anything else in it? And they're right. That part's not from Isaiah. That part's from Malachi. But what they don't understand, what students of the Bible do understand, is that back in Bible times, there was a scroll called the Scroll of the Prophets, which contained the prophecy of the Messiah. And the Scroll of the Prophets was named for the first prophet that it started recording, which was Isaiah the prophet. And then following Isaiah the prophet's prophecies were all the other prophets. But it was known as the Scroll of the Prophets, known as Isaiah. So you could quote from any prophet that was contained in the Scroll of the Prophets because the first prophet listed was Isaiah. It's known as coming from Isaiah. Do you understand? Ain't nothing wrong with the Bible. Ain't nothing wrong at all. And so Malachi is contained in the scroll of the prophets. And it talks about this one who would come to prepare the way of Christ. And so then the introduction to John. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Mark takes a moment to introduce to us this man, John, before he talks to us about the activity of Jesus' life. Baptism that John was doing in, in the Jordan River was common in those times, but it was mainly a baptism into Judaism. Bap John's baptism was different. John's baptism was for the repentance of sin. Jesus would be baptized by John in the Jordan, though not for the repentance of sin, but for the fulfillment of Old Testament. Fulfillment of Scripture. We practice baptism here. It's a baptism different than what many people have experienced. We don't baptize babies. We dry clean our kids and dedicating them, but we don't get them wet. Every baptism in the Bible was done of people who, after they accepted Christ, of adults who could profess their faith, and it was done by immersion. It means dunking them underwater. The word baptize means to immerse or dip underwater, and so we baptize by immersion just as Jesus was, and every baptism in the scripture was. And, and it's, baptism is not at all required for salvation. Only faith in Jesus saves anybody. No, no act, no baptism. Baptism is done after one has become saved to show that they are saved. It's like when you put on the jersey of the team, now I'm, now I'm part. That's what baptism is. And we're actually doing a baptism the Sunday after VBS. So if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and not yet been dunked underwater, according to Scripture, that's baptism. I invite you to be a part of that. Let us know you want to. 
So this was John, and the Bible says he wore clothes made of camel's hair. All that is is to say that he was poor. He was dirt poor. Say so he wore a belt around leather, belt around his waist. Again, a symbolism of him being extraordinarily poor, but it's also a throwback to the prophet Jeremiah. And so what we see in John is this poor man that was, remember I said, everything leading up to Matthew, leading up to Jesus, leading up to the gospel is pointing towards Jesus. John was pointing towards Jesus as a throwback to an Old Testament prophet pointing towards the Christ. The Bible says he ate locusts. Locusts was a part of the kosher food for Jews. That was part of the, the approved bug menu. So if you ever want to get back to your spiritual Jewish roots, next time you see a grasshopper in your yard, go ahead and partake. It's okay. But, but, but now, now let, let me, let, let, someone say, go on and teach the Bible, Carl. Someone, someone give, thank you, Sean, I appreciate that. Let me teach you this. The Bible says he ate wild honey. So again, let me give you a little bit of Bible knowledge here. Are there honeybees in the desert? There's not. No honeybees in the desert. What do honeybees need? Flowers and pollen and stuff, right? Ain't none of that in the desert. So how can he eat wild honey? See, again, those who read the Bible with nefarious intent would say it doesn't even make sense. There ain't no honeybees in the desert. How can John eat wild honey? Did you ever think about that? No, here's why. Because too many Christians just read it and check their brains. Like, I don't want to think about it. Of course it's true. Let's think about this, right? How does he eat wild honey if there's no honeybees? Because we don't understand. That's a date palm. He ate date honey. This was common in the region. Those trees were everywhere. And that's the fruit of the date palm. They're called dates. What he ate, the wild honey John ate, was date honey. And when you go find one of those trees in that area, you put the, the fruit of it, the date fruit of it, you mash it together, that's date honey. And it's very, very, very nutritious. Very, it gives you full energy and health. And it's absorbed very quickly into the body. This is what John ate. He'd take a little grasshopper, dip it in a little date honey, and have a little meal. So how about we get to know Jesus? How about we get to know the word that talks about him. Regarding John the Baptist, I read the first eight verses. Let me jump a couple verses in Mark chapter one to verse 14. Verse 14 says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. After Jesus went through baptism, went through the temptation of the desert, we'll look at all this next week. And then he goes out into ministry that happened after John was put in prison. Before we get to Jesus, in order to understand Jesus, we got to get to John, the Baptist. Why was John in prison? Elsewhere in Scripture, in Mark chapter 6, we know that Rome appointed Herod as king over the Jews. And King Herod had John arrested. Why? Because King Herod was a nasty old man. And King Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias. And John confronted him. He said, Herod, it ain't right for you to marry your brother. If you didn't know, if this is new news to you, if your family tree doesn't tree, it, it, it's not right. Herod didn't mind the confrontation so much. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Herod loved talking to John and listening to him. And he was intrigued by John. Some people are intrigued by the truth. But Herodias the illegitimate wife of Herod, his brother's wife, was upset because of what John was saying about her. 
And she convinced him to throw him in jail. More to that story later. That's why he's in jail. And what we see in John, and this will inform us about Jesus. While John was in jail, now we got to go to a different gospel this one, Matthew chapter 11. When John is in jail, he's got disciples following him. And John says to his disciples, go find out if this Jesus is really the guy we're waiting for. And this is Jesus' answer to John's question, are you really the one? Jesus tells his disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, you go back and tell John what you have seen. He's asking if I'm the one. All you got to do is go tell him what you see. Now listen. That question that John asks, is he really the one, is the same question that every one of us ask at some point. Is it true? Is he really the one? Can you really trust? Do I really believe this? Here's the problem. John knew that he was the one. There should have been no question in John's mind if he were the one. Why do we say that? Because John's mama was named Elizabeth. Jesus' mama was named Mary. Elizabeth and Mary were relatives. The Bible tells us in Luke, even Elizabeth, your relative, just the angel talking to Mary, is going to have a child in her old days. This is John the Baptist that she's pregnant with. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. At that time, Mary, the mother of Jesus, got ready and hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home, the husband of Elizabeth, and she greeted Elizabeth. She's pregnant with Jesus. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby John the Baptist leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John knew from the womb that this was Jesus. Do you understand? There was no doubt. Not only that, when John was preaching in the wilderness, John knew that this was Jesus. Because the Bible says in John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John knew that this was Jesus. In the womb, John knew. In the desert, John knew. Not only that, but at the baptism of Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized by John, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a light on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. John knew. John knew Jesus was the one when he was in the womb. John knew Jesus was the one when he was in the wilderness. John knew Jesus was the one when he was in the water. Didn't John have enough evidence not to ever have to ask this question? Then why did he? See, John had faith to believe when John was free, but this time, John's in prison. See, it's easy to believe when I'm free, but doubt comes quick when I'm in pain. You understand? When I don't got no trouble, God is good. And God is good all the time. That's the way church people used to say it back in the day. But when all I see is disappointment and fear, maybe Jesus isn't anymore who I thought he was. See, hard times tempt us to doubt who Jesus is. Hard times tempt us to doubt that Jesus cares. Hard times tempt us to doubt that Jesus can help. Right? And we're not going to get honest with ourselves right now? Isn't this right? See, John believed in Jesus when John didn't have no problems. But now, things are different. John said, I believe in you, Jesus, because everything was good. But now, that it's not so good, 
John asked this question, see if you haven't asked it too. Are you really the one who can solve my problem or should I look elsewhere for a solution? Right? When we get in trouble, are you really the one, Jesus, because that hadn't happened yet? Or do I need to take matters into my own hands, do things my own way, and look for somewhere else, some way else, someone else? See, in Matthew 3.10, John said of Jesus, the Messiah will inflict judgment on the wicked. But Jesus, at this point, when John was ill, hadn't done any of that yet. John was sitting in a prison in the heat of the desert near the Dead Sea. And because Jesus, get it, because Jesus, see if this isn't true, because Jesus hadn't done nothing that John expected him to do, now John realizes he's disappointed in his experience of Jesus. You ever been there? You ever been disappointed with your experience of Jesus? Here's a problem. Here's my problem. It's common to develop our understanding of who Jesus is by what we want him to do. But that usually leads to being disappointed. And when we get disappointed, we start asking the question, are you really the one? Does this really work? You really gonna come through? We're so much like John. John had faith in the womb. John had faith in the desert. John had faith in the river. But now John was in jail. Some of you had faith when you were children. Some of you had faith when you were on the mission field. Some of you had faith sitting in church last week. But now this week's different. Did you ever have a but now season in life? Did you ever have one of those but now seasons? See, here's how it goes. When I got money, tithing's easy. But when I'm broke, but now it's a different story. When I'm in a relationship, I love Jesus. But when I'm fearful of being single for the rest of my life, now I love anybody. But now it's different. When I'm healthy, I got lots of faith. But now I'm sick. So maybe God isn't who I thought he was, right? The first thing the book of Mark forces us to ask and wrestle with the question, Jesus, who are you really? Are you really the one? Or do I need to look somewhere else? Jesus' answer is profound. Consider this. Dadgummit, it's 1130 already. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to finish this one out. Is that right? All right. All right. Here we go. So his, his answer comes from an Old Testament, the, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, from three different chapters, chapter 29, chapter 35, and chapter 61. And then there's a hint to Isaiah chapter 11. When Jesus says, tell them what you've seen, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the cure lepers, and then it's implied chapter 11, the dead are raised. That's Jesus's answer. But in those passages, 
that John would know and his disciples would know. Jesus leaves out part of the prophecy of the Messiah. All those other things were things that the Jews could look for and expect it in the Messiah. But Jesus leaves out one of the things that should have been included in all of them. The thing Jesus leaves out is to proclaim liberty to the captive. Why did Jesus leave out to proclaim liberty to the captive? Because John was in jail and Jesus wasn't going to free him. So he left that out. What John was asking was, are you really the one who will bring liberty to the captive? Because I need freeing. And Jesus says, I'm going to do all this stuff, but I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You understand? Has Jesus ever done a whole bunch, but not what you wanted him to do? So look at how Jesus responds. Verse six, blessed is the one who does not stumble on the county. This is what he's saying. Blessed are you who don't leave me because I don't do what you want me to do. That's what he's saying. Blessed are you who don't leave me because I don't do the way that you want me to do it. Blessed are you who in your disappointment of me don't leave me. That's what he says. See, that's why we say, Faith is not only believing God will do, faith is trusting even when God doesn't do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so we come back again and again and again in Mark to the question, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, can I trust you? Jesus, right now, I'm sitting in pain in prison. Right now, I'm sitting with deficit and defeat. Right now, are you really the one? What I expected of you has not come to fruition. My hope in you has not been realized. Are you the one? And Jesus says in verse 15, he says, the time's come now. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What he's saying here is I am the one and I'm inviting you to the kingdom with me. I am the one and I'm inviting you to believe the good news of my kingdom. Here's what we have to understand that John was on the verge of missing, that Jesus came to explain to us and help us understand and see in fruition in the life of his, of his activity. The kingdom of God is not a place and the kingdom of God is not a time. The kingdom of God is the condition of the rule and reign of God and yes, Jesus is the one and through Jesus we have access into the kingdom the rule and reign of God in our lives over all ills and evils of this world and it's into this kingdom that Jesus invites us and it's into this kingdom that Jesus invites us to live. And it's into this kingdom that Jesus invites us to invest. And it is this kingdom that Jesus is establishing here and now. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not a time nor a place. It is a condition of the rule and reign of God. And can we let him rule and reign in our lives when we're sitting in prison and in peril? Yes, he is the one. And so my invitation this morning is let's get to know Jesus and live in his kingdom with his rule and reign over our lives. The fact is he is the one. He is good and he is kind and he makes it easy to love him. He is the one 
And he does bring joy into our lives. And he makes it easy to trust him. He will never leave our side. He is the one. He'll be faithful every time. He is the one. Let's get to know him. I want you to pray with me. And in your prayer, if you dare to, I invite you to say this. Jesus, all I want is you. Jesus, I just want to live in your kingdom. Jesus, you are the refuge I run to. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. All you need to pray, Jesus, all we want is you. Jesus, we want to live in your kingdom. Jesus, you are the refuge we run to. Jesus, we'll follow you anywhere. Make it your prayer as a disciple of Jesus to say in your heart and with your mind, Jesus, all I want is you. Jesus, all I want is to live in your kingdom. Jesus, you are the refuge I choose to run to. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. God, in this place, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit, in this moment, light upon us. Convince us of your love, of your truth, of your presence. You are all we want. You are all we desire. Be our everything. All we want is you. We just want to live in your kingdom. Father, we trust you because we can love you because of what you've done in this world in our lives in this moment in this moment on this day you are what we want we confess you are what we need you are our everything and we will follow you